на трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. On Tuesday evening, Krasnodar took a large stride to securing qualification in the Champions League proper for the first time in their history, coming from behind, behind to secure a 2-1 victory of our Greek side Pauk. We'll be deep diving into that game, analysing Siska's auspicious start of the season and providing some quick kicks of everywhere else in the RPL. To do so is the most famous mild-mannered Englishman in Tartistan, David Sanson. Hello, hello. And our very own Wigan warrior, Richard Pike. Good evening, everybody. How are we all? As mentioned at the top of the show, Krasnodar have the all-important lead going into the second leg of the Champions League third qualifying round next week. However, they had to do it in a difficult way. Just six minutes into the game, Kyle was rightly penalised for blocking Andrea Zivkovic's shot with his arm. But Pauk skipper Dimitris Pelka sent his penalty straight at Matvey Sofanov, who stood strong and made, a, and made a solid save. With half an hour gone, however, Pauk customarily broke against the run of play after a spell of the home side domination and Pelkas got on a cross well ahead of Diego Sorokin to tap home. Within 10 minutes, however, Sergei Petrov was fouled in the box, and Viktor Glasson coolly converted the resulting penalty. Krasnodar continued to dominate the game, and with just 20 minutes remaining, Marcus Byrne lifted the ball over his defender high into the air, only to find Rami Cabela this time to run excellently and tap in from close range. Pauk threatened in the counter, and Krasnodar had their own chances for a third, but the game ended 2-1. So, David... How do you see this one at the halfway stage? And should that away goal worry us? Oh, definitely. Definitely should worry us. Um, <laughs> I think they needed I think they needed a third goal, uh, definitely, to, to go to Greece next week with real confidence. Um, you know, it's nice. You know, they won the first leg. It's, it's, it was a good result. Um, you know, they, they definitely... Um, it, it, it was a 50-50 game. You know, both sides had chances. Piet, I think Park had a few of the chances, but the better chances, you know, they hit the post as well. Uh, obviously, they had the penalty. Um, Kostar controlled more of the ball, but Park defended really well. Um, if Park are going to play the same way next week, we're going to see Krasnodar hopefully controlling more of the ball. And, you know, we, if Krasnodar have a lot of the ball, they're going to create chances. Um, so I feel there's a good chance for them to go to Greece next week and, and score an away goal. Um, so so I think they've got a, a solid chance still of uh, being able to go and, go and qualify. Yeah, certainly. I think they're in. They're obviously in the driving seat after the two one victory at home. But uh, those two ones and these two legged affairs are always difficult. On one hand, you're very excited and very happy to go in with the lead, which is the only thing that matters at the end of the day. But then again. Pauk very dangerous on the counter. Benfica underestimated them. The score on the counter against every single goal just about was. Same again, Tuesday night. Pelkas's goal was on the counter. It was not the greatest defender from Sorokin, to be quite honest, letting him get ahead of him at the front post. But it just shows that Pauk are dangerous and that they are that sort of side who are just well suited to these European ties. And they've got myriad of European experience. But... Richard, Pauk's home, the Tumba Stadium in Thessaloniki, is pretty famously raucous. So being behind closed doors, do you think this should suit Krasnodar for the second leg and maybe t- negate the advantage that Pauk would ordinarily have? I mean, um, you know, Pauk will still have familiarity with their pitch dimensions and, you know, they're not 
because they're playing at home, they don't have to travel. But, um, however, yeah, one factor when a team goes away for a Champions League or Europa League tie in Greece or, or Turkey to the other two um, ones that immediately spring to mind is the atmosphere made by the fans um, under normal circumstances. And no, that's been taken away. And um, so definitely the intimidation factor has no gone for Krasnodar uh, when they go there. Um, and that will help them a little bit. It's a help. I won't say it's a massive help, but it's help because, um, you know, you have to remember power code good side and they showed that in the game against Krasnodar. You know, they beat Benfica for a reason as well. You know, that, that result really impressed me. That was a Benfica side with, you know, George Jesus in charge and one who I think spent about 70 million euros on transfers this summer, brought in some good players. So power to beat them was quite something. No one, none of us at RFM were expecting that. Um, and, you know, they're a well-drilled, disciplined side. As David said, you know, they defended very well. Um, they're well-drilled, well-coached. And they don't create a huge amount of chances. But when they do create chances, they test you. Um, so I think Krasnodar will have to be wary. Um, and, you know, like we were saying, possibly they could have a two-goal lead to make it, make it feel a bit more comfortable. Um, and they might have to score on the night. Um, it's a finely balanced tie. Um it's definitely a finely balanced tie for a spot at European football's top table. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Um, but yeah, no away fan, no no fans in the ground is the intimidation factor's gone. So Krasnodar will have to take advantage of that. Um, so yeah, um, should be a good game. Yeah, that's that's the one thing that I, I'm, I'm quite optimistic for Krasnodar's chances. Now, famously last season they they played a Greek side, Olympiakos and fell that hurdle and, and really didn't play great. And, and one of the big issues was that feisty atmosphere that you get in all Greek stadiums. The, the ultras, the support from the ultras is absolutely second to none for creating this virile atmosphere. So Krasnodar themselves aren't really that used to playing in empty stadiums as much as teams across the rest of Europe are, obviously, with, with Russia now allowed 50% attendance. But in this situation, it seems like it could be quite the boost to the team, especially with Krasnodar famously not having a, the greatest of away supports with all due respect to their fans. But what they do have in absolute swathes is legions of talent in attack. But in my opinion, Krasnodar right now are perhaps a little bit too top-heavy. Now, Caio and Sorokin are both very good on the ball and key to progressing the ball up into midfield in Krasnodar's system. But the former was out of place positionally for the penalty early doors, and this led to a needless handball. And then for Pelkash's second goal, as I alluded to earlier slightly, Sorokin was far too easily found on the wrong side of his man and then beaten across the face of goal, which is just a big no-no for any defender, and especially somebody with Sorokin who's he's got a little bit of fight afoot. He's, he's no slouch whatsoever. He's just beaten far too easily. Now, is this defence good enough for this level, David? Well, it's certainly one area you'd expect them to... Um improve upon if they had the foreigner spots left to do it. Um, you know, it was a big, big, big miss to have Martinovic out, you know, maybe not has the best pedigree, but we, we know is their best central defender. Um, so to have him out suspended for the first day wasn't ideal. Uh, Sorokin has, has struggled since joining Krasnodar. You know, we knew he was a good ball player and he was always good from set pieces at, um, at Rubin, but uh, he's struggled with the defensive side of the game and has been exposed a few times since joining Krasnodar. So having having Martinovic come come in and be, or having him come in for Martinovic, sorry, wasn't 
wasn't something I, I was pleased at when I saw the team sheet. I, I wasn't aware of myself. It was just going to be suspended until I saw it. Kayo, yeah, he's been... He's one of those defenders who who you'll, you'll watch him play a game and he'll do he'll do so much right and then he'll just have a little moment of madness. Reminds me of some of the old Arsenal defenders that we've had over the years. Um, you know, he's, he's so good when it comes to, like, you know... Um, just one on one defending, you know, getting a good challenge in, but he's a bit gangly. And uh, yeah, I don't know what he was doing. You know, he, he went to charge, charge a ball down. He was, he was just, you know, he's pointing to one of his teammates to, you know, mark someone else and then decided to charge the shot while his arms were still out, you know, out spread out and um, you know, hit his arm and it's a penalty. Um, uh, his, his passing wasn't. Wasn't as good as it should have been. He was playing some, trying to play some passes through between the midfield um, to the to the attackers, which weren't coming off uh, on occasions. Um, so ideally, ideally, I'd like to see him just keep it a bit more simple. Um, but no, it's not the defence you want. But they, they've um, they've got no room to to swing it and to change it with the foreign spots in their squad. Unfortunately, they they'd have to they'd have to ditch someone else um, to get someone in there. And we've already, we've already seen Oli Spajic, who we all thought was probably their best centre defender. And, um, you know, that was a strange one. Uh, I'm still a bit confused mm-hmm. as to why he's gone. Um, so, yeah, if they can, they need, they need to get someone else in. But I, I don't see it happening this summer, unfortunately. Yeah, certainly. And I think that's Kyle's issue particularly is just that a severe lack of concentration. And you, you mentioned some of the old Arsenal defenders. And what it reminds me of is the old... Old Ferdinand, not Rio, but Anton Ferdinand, where the ability is clearly there. He's a very talented player. Some of the some of the challenges that he makes, some of his positional plays, just absolute top class. But it looks like a player who's just lacking experience. And Akayo's not too young. He's 25 now. Obviously, he hasn't hit his prime yet as a defender, but he's he's only got 70 first-team matches under his belt. And the highest level he's ever played at is the, the RPL, of which he's only played 17 games. So to go in from such a, a low-level experience into what is the elite level of football in Europe is is quite a big jump. And I think that's just where Kyle's struggling maybe a little bit with some of the, the nous, especially with someone like Dimitras Pelkas, who's, who's a difficult player to play against at the best of times. Now, Wanderson himself has, has also had an uncharacteristically uncharacter- quiet game. Him and Kyle are actually statistically rated the two lowest Krasnodar players on the pitch. Now, he, Wanderson didn't register a single shot on goal, nor did he create any chances into the box at all during the entire 90 minutes. Richard, though, do you think that his direct style and pace in the counter perhaps could come into more focus on the away leg? Or is Pauk simply sit too deep to really for someone like him to really impact as opposed to Klaassen on the other wing? Interesting to see how Pauk approach it early doors. Because, um, like you said, his direct style and his pace... On the flanks, could um, you know, Costa could obviously use that in the second leg. It could quite possibly be a factor. Um, Pento power play. Did they go for it right from the start? We don't know yet. Or did they ease themselves into the game and then try and um, you know try and get that equalising goal before before half time, well to equalise the tie? But obviously then that would put them through. They scored and it finished one nil. Um, so you have just to see how how they do it, how how, how they play it. Um, I personally think Costa alluding to what you just said there, I think they're going to have to score, to be honest. I, I'm still not sure about them defensively. Um, 
Yeah, I was very surprised Sparks left, actually. I, I, I actually do rate him higher than Kyle. Um, it's, I think I think they're going to have to score across to that. I mean, it's encouraging that, you know, Powak, well, it's encouraging that they're taking a lead to Greece and that Powak will have to, obviously, at some point, try and attack. They, they, they can't just be too tightly in there. But, yeah, defensively, you just have a few worries about Krasnodar, don't you? Um, uh, so, yeah, I think they're going to probably have to score. One thing I will say about Krasnodar, though, is, is that compare and contrast that first leg to last season's match against Olympiakos, where they went a goal down early door. Well, they went a goal down, I think it was in the first half, I'm not sure, and then they panicked, tried to chase the game, and then they up, was it 4-0 final score in the first leg? And, and they just it, the lack of experience in the European competition showed at, at the top level. But this time round against Park in that first leg, they were a lot more composed and um, stayed in the game. Didn't panic when they went an early goal down, got themselves back into the game. Um, so that will help them. Um, they got a bit of luck as well. You know, uh, the missed penalty, it was a shocking penalty from Park. And um, the one good chance Park did create in the second half uh, they hit the post with it. But apart from that, I think Craster, though, we were all saying on the chat, didn't we, that they, they repelled Park quite well in the second half. Um, so, yeah, hopefully, like I say, Vanderson can find his form because his style, eventually, I think if Park have to come forward, his style will could work in their favour. Hopefully, like I've said, for all of us at RFN's sake, hopefully he'll have um, had an off-par game in the first leg, but bottled it all up, left it all in the tank for the second leg and then unleashed it on Park and hopefully they can get through in that second um, in that second leg. Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. And that, uh, the thing about Krasnodar is that when they got that lead and they were at the end, under, they were to be fair under the cosh a little bit, not too badly. But considering how the game had panned out beforehand, where Pauk had seen very little of the ball, they were comparatively under the cosh. It reminded me of this time, uh, February last twenty nineteen was it? Um, last year when they they played Bayer Leverkusen in the around 32 knockout stages in the Europa League. And uh, it was when Sharpie really sort of propelled himself onto the international stage with that beautiful goal into the top left-hand corner with five minutes left. And throughout the whole game, it was uh, Bayer was absolutely dominant. They had like well into double figures of shots on goal. Um, the Krasadov repelled them and were defending great until right at the end when Charles, Ar- Charles Aranguige scored the goal, which nearly knocked Krasadar out. Now, the one and away goals in the end. But I had that same feeling that maybe because this defence, because Krasadar a little bit of a glass cannon, that they, they might have done the same. And full credit to them, they got through it and defended very well. But on that, David's last word on, on this right now is, will Martinovic himself, obviously back from suspension, or maybe Yuri Gazinski or Ruslan Kambalov, perhaps come into the team to shore things up away? Now, they've got Kabea, they've uh, Wanderson, Klaassen, Berger, all very good players. And as a unit, attacking unit, Krasadov maybe got one of the best of this sort of selection of teams around the qualifying. Um, so, do you think that even some of these defensive players could possibly be seen in the starting lineup, or will Messiah stick to his guns? I think the team will be exactly the same, bar Sorokin will, will drop out and Martinovic will come in. That's assuming everyone's fit. Obviously, we saw Wanderson sort of limp off holding his groin towards the end, but I'm imagining he'll not play this weekend and be back for next week's match. Um, I don't think Gazinski's due to be fit for next week, and Campbell's coming back after a long injury, and he's only got a couple of matches for 
Preston or two under his belt this season, so I can't see either of those two starting. I, I imagine it'll be exactly the same bar Martinovic, uh, assuming everyone else is fit. Yeah, and I think maybe offence could be the best form of defence in this case. Pauk concede one and the tie's almost over. So, anyway, moving on. Predictions? David, would you like to go first? Not really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's think. How are they going to get on? Oh, it's all between heart and head, isn't it, now? You know, uh, it's every, every week. Everything, everything inside me is leaning to bias as well. So, you know, <laughs> I, I think they can score an away goal. So I'm I'm going to go with one all on the night, and three two to Crystal on aggregate. So remember, David, you are the eternal optimist on RFN here, and by eternal optimist, I mean the least pessimistic. Because Russian football, we all have to be pessimistic. So Richards, any predictions yourself? Oh God, this is where um, <laughs> I mean I, sh- I should be off predictions permanently after I predicted Zenit to beat Benfica away last season in the Champions League, and they mucked up in the group stage and went out, and then I predicted Dinamo to beat. Locomotive Tbilisi and uh, more on that later. <laughs> um, or what am I going to say? I'll try and be optimistic. I'm going to say 2 1 on the night, 3 0 on aggregate, and crashed out to win on penalties. Oh, it's spicy. Uh, yeah, I, I feel the same. It, it's difficult. It's one of those where we feel like Krasnodar should get through, but. It's Russian football. It's never that easy. As we've seen literally tonight at the time of recording, Rostov lost to Maccabi Haifa. On paper, should probably have won that one, in my opinion anyway. But sticking on Krasnodar, I'll go... Tell you what, I'll go optimistic. I think it'll be nil-nil. Nice nil-nil, get Krasnodar through. So at the weekend, Siska themselves defeated Ufa 1-0 away from home thanks to a rare strike from Christian Bistrovich. The form this season has been somewhat under the radar and currently only sits one point behind Zenit and Spartak in third. They've won the last four in a row, are unbeaten in five, and defeated Spartak in the huge main Moscow derby recently. This, however, has all came since Viktor Goncharenka made a tactical shift after consecutive defeats to Zenit and Rubin, in which he ditched his favoured 3-4-3 for a 4-2-3-1, moving Vlasic centrally and switching to a back four in defence. Now, he did this for the draw with Krasnodar and are undefeated since. Currently, due to injury, Diego Deveyev, uh, due to lack of match time, Bruno Fuchs, and due to forgetting how to defend, Victor Varsin are all out of the team and it's somewhat forced. But at the time, he had five fit centre-backs and credit where credit is due for Goncharenka for making the positive change. Now, this, this tactical shift is designed to getting the best out of Lasic. He's got a totally free role, while the wingers usually play very narrow, depending on who it is. Kachaya, especially on the right-hand side, uh, when the full-backs provide the width. Now, that's unless Tignizian plays, who usually keeps wide. Now, it's a very asymmetrical system, and the progress of the ball through the typical style of high pressure, high intensity, movement all based around short, sharp passing. So, David, towards the back end of last season, the Belarusian himself came under such intense pressure and he was forced to take a stress-related sabbatical at home in his home in Belarus. So how has he turned it around this term, and will he continue to do so? Um, it's interesting because, obviously, going forward, um, none of their goals have come from their strikers. Charles and, and Gaich are both goalless. Your UK, if you want to call him a striker, because I suppose technically he has started up front in that last game. Um, did score the one. 
but most of their goals have come from Kachayev and, and Vlasic, who've got four apiece, and uh, Vistaric has got two now as well off the bench. Um, so it's interesting that the goal sources have, have started to come up. You know, uh, two years ago, obviously, Chalov was, was killing it. He was scoring left, right, and centre. Last season, he was struggling, but sort of hit a little purple patch towards the end of the season. Uh, this season, he, he started the season with, a, with an injury, same as Vlasic, and uh, so they neither of them have played a great deal. Um, in fact, he's, you know, he, he's not even started the last couple, I think, because of because of his injury, just coming back. Um, but he came on and assisted for Bistaritz this week. Um, but the midfielders, you know, Kachayev suddenly, after his after his dreadful um, ACL injury that he had a couple of years back, has come back with and started the season. I, I didn't think he would ever get back to the level that he's playing at now. Um, I, I really thought it was it was curtains for him after that injury because when he did come back last season, it, it just wasn't working for him. But he's he's started the season really well. Um, so I think I think a few of the individuals have just turned up and started playing well. I think Maradishvili has, has slotted in well in the middle um, to to replace Akutov, who obviously uh, dislocated his shoulder at the tail end of twenty nineteen. Uh, and the new signings are just just helping to bolster the squad where. You know, they've been lacking for the last couple of seasons, so um, things are looking rosy now. And if they can just get one of their strikers at the very least, just firing on all cylinders, um, then there's reason to be slightly optimistic for their season. I think. Now, David, you kind of briefly mentioned it there, but in the summer, Siska did bring in Adolfo Gaich, Bruno Fuchs, uh, Bakhtiar Zinutinov, and Chidera Juke. So, Richard, do you think that's some shrewd business from Siska? I what I've seen of him so far, I really like Ajuke. Um I was very impressed with his performance against Dufa. Um he played both, as I say, he started the game in a central role. Uh he can play as a striker. And then he was on the left hand side in the second half. Um and he looks you know, it's quite flexible. What I like about him is he gives Siska's attack something a bit different. He's got a good amount of pace to his game, he can dribble well, um, and he'll take players on. Um, and what I really like about him too is that he's also, you know, looks like a, a player who's willing to work for the team too. There was a time, I think, in the first half where I remember it clearly now, I think on Kuchayev's side, he'd just been dispossessed. And, you know, you'd think in that situation, Kuchayev's the one tracks back and wins the ball back. But actually, Juke just appeared out of nowhere. And even probably surprised the Ufa player by just dispossessing him and getting the Siska attack going again. So I like the, uh, the mobility that he's going to bring to Siska's attack. It's going to be quite nice. He's flexible, so yeah. I'm, I, in what I've seen of Ajuke so far, I think he's got a good ceiling to develop in the future, and I think he, he could well prove a very good, shrewd signing for them. Bruno Fuchs comes with a good reputation from um, from Brazil, um, international in Porto Alegre. Um, shame we haven't really seen him much so far. Obviously, he's had a um, lack of fitness, uh, so hopefully. Hopefully, I think when he's fit, you know, him and Devere are probably going to be the starting centre halves now because obviously they've gone back to a back four. Um, Zoutinov was um, a nice gamble for them to take too in terms of signing because obviously Kazakh players are obviously exempt from the um, from the foreign limits players from Kazakhstan, Belarus, Armenia and Kyrgyzstan I think it is are all exempt so uh, he's played Rostov um, recently played at, played at Rostov recently so it's a nice little signing for them tops up their squad gives them more options um as for Geish, though, I think this is going to be quite interesting with Adolfo Geish, isn't it? Because, um, you know, Ijuke looked quite comfortable in that 
wide role in the second half and they put Chaloff on. He obviously played as a central striker. So I'm already, I mean, me and Hanu were discussing this on Twitter actually um, after the, during the game, like the end of last week. Already, you know, Geish, he's not getting on the pitch and I'm a bit worried now that, you know, even in in January, he might, he might leave, you know. I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about that because they've also also got Ilya Skur in too, um, Siska. So, We'll just have to wait and see. Uh, but I'm really excited about Fuchs, uh, Bruno Fuchs and um, Ijuke. They're the two signs I'm really excited about. Zout enough will prove a good squad filler. But it'll be interesting to see what Geish's situation is now. Because um, when, he, when, he, when he did play against this guy, he, was, he, looked pretty, he looked pretty isolated in the whole game. He looked like he never got into it. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens with that. Yeah, you've got to hope that with Geish right now, it's, it's that's difficult transition. Uh, into Russian culture and in life and living in Russia. Was, Siska have got history of doing this, where they, they sign talented foreigners who come in and at first really don't make an impact whatsoever. If, you know, if you're looking back, remember a little trip back to the past, Ahmed Musa in his first season, Siska only actually scored one goal. And then in his second one, went into double figures and just about every season since then got into double figures in all competitions. So Dumbia was the same, started slow, life slow got going after. Even Wagner Love didn't score at all for his, in his first five games. And Looking back at the goals he scored for Siska, it's crazy I think to remember that. So hopefully it is that that is the case. Now, I have a little bit of a more inherent bigger issue with Geich is that I don't think he suits Siska's system. Yeah, that's hopefully my, he can. That's my fear as well. That's what me and Hanu were saying. But yeah, like you look at Azuke, Azuke's got that that real directness and dynamism and dribbling ability to, to make something happen in the final third. Now, I'm not saying Geich doesn't have that, but on the evidence of what we've seen so far, he's missed two sitters. And he's just like like trying to move at the oil tanker, like the Titanic one and the iceberg at times. is turned so slow. Now, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, but that is the, the big money one. Is the One of the big money ones is one of the ones where you... Well, from my opinion, anyway, I'm a little bit hesitant over as well. I don't think he'll leave anytime soon. I think he will be given the time. I mean, Siska are notoriously uh, happy about giving players time to adjust and, and make it into the first team. So hopefully that's just another case of adjusting to the league and to the, to the country. But another one that Siska missed, actually, in the middle is, is Ilza Akhnatov, who has been Siska's water carrier, really, and since Gontrenka came in, for much of Gontrenka's tenure, most of the attacks and and phases of positional phases of play move and begin through him. But he is a bit of a glass cannon, of course, tremendously talented, but equally he's injury prone. Now he's currently out in a long term injury, and in his absence, I've actually been very impressed by Ivan Oblyakov stepping up to, in, into his role as well as filling his own in the side. Now against Bartak, he deserved to receive the highest mark in the match and was named Siska's man of the match, having made a well, not officially, it was Vlasic for that goal, obviously, had to be, but statistically, he was the highest rated, and he made a huge amount of running work, covered more ground than any other player on the pitch. He stole possession eight times from Spartak players, registered two assists, and won 11 single duels in defence, of which, uh, and had had 11 single duels in, in defence, sorry, and of, of which won 55% of which, which is the joint highest in the game. Now, David, you've been a big fan of Obliakov since his days at Ufa. So how how do you see his development and how has he changed since he was at Ufa? Um, I don't I don't well I don't think for starters that he was he's replaced that bit of 
uh, in any way. I think obviously that's been more Meredith Shvili's job because um, obviously prior to this, they were Zobiakov Akhmatov were the central midfielder pairing. Um, obviously, we saw Zobiakov on a number of occasions when Cisco was struggling with all their injuries to their defenders. Um, saw him play at left wing back for a while, which was a nice change of pace. Um, I think this, we've seen him sort of drop deeper since he's moved to um, since he's moved to Cisco. The same with Akhmatov. Both both at the younger ages when they were back at Rudin and Utho were, were more attacking midfielders and they're both very similar players in terms of um, how good they are on the ball and how good they are in tight spaces, dribbling and stuff. Um, we've, we've seen Obiakov coming to his own in terms of um, uh, in terms of just being a good good player on the ball. You know, he, he takes all the set pieces, um, provides plenty of assists from that. He's a good good pass on him, and, and he's you know he's he's just a very solid player. You know, we've seen him. I think he got his first call up. I think he got his first cap. He got his first call up for the national team um, last year. Um, and I think his his future is there. You know, you, you can see why. Cisco um, spent four mil on him to, to bring him in, and he's, you know, he's still very young. I couldn't even tell you how old he is. I presume 21, 22 still, no more than that. Um, 22, and, you know, and he's he, he's one of their best players already. Um, so so it's it's a very exciting midfield pairing to have. Um, and I don't know what I want to say to say that he needs to improve because. He's he's got a whole package for the RPL for what he needs to for what he needs in his position. Uh, you know he's just got to keep doing what he can do, um, and hope that the, the Cisco team around him can help propel them to play in higher levels. You know he's already played in the Champions League against the likes of Real Madrid and, uh, and you know big world class teams. So um, I expect that he'll have a good solid career there. Yeah, and he is, of course, generally the captain for the under twenty ones. When he when he plays for the under twenty ones and has for twenty odd assists, twenty odd um, games for the under twenty ones now, and that's his role in that squad. And and Churchisov's and and the RFU in general sort of prolificacy to to want to bring in groups of players. They they like to bring in large groups at one time and always have done. This has been going on in the Soviet Union since for the nineteen fifties and sixties. So. Because of that, he, he hasn't, as you said, got that debut for the Russia team. But it's it's an it's an inevitability at this point. He's got the call ups and he's he's getting the experience. And I just think he's been very impressive. And when I, when I meant about taking over Akhmatov's role, I just meant more of like a, a mental. He's becoming more of a leader week in week out and on on the pitch. And it's for a mild mannered fella, he's very quiet. But it's it's really good to see him mature into what we all hoped that and. The potential that he did had to have at Ufa, but Siska actually play very narrow in the football, and most of their attacks are are very positional and progressing through the central third of the pitch. And as a result, they often do find it difficult to break down defensive sides who who sit come like at the weekend. Uh, Ufa they went to Ufa. Everybody knows what Ufa do and how they do it. They sit with ten men behind the ball hope for the best in terms of getting anyone on the counter and, and rely on the solid defence and the brilliance of Alexander Belinov in goal to, to get the results. Now, Siska, when they play these sides, often rely on the individual brilliance of, more often than not, Vlasic or Kachayev right now or, or others to, to get the results in these sort of very tight games. So, Richard, on Vlasic, just how important is he to Siska and 
I've heard there's some possible rumours in the Russian press of him maybe moving on, maybe not. Yeah, we've heard some stories, haven't we? Um, he's been linked with Napoli a few times, I think. And I think just recently to Zenit, but uh, I just can't see Siska selling him. I mean, when is the window shut? Is it the 5th of October? It's just just under two weeks. So I honestly just can't see Siska selling him right now. Um, they'd have to sell him abroad. I mean, selling him to Zenit would be be suicidal really because you know it, it then strengthens any i mean I, I think it's personally paper talk you know i don't think i don't think Siskar entertained the, the prospect of selling him anyway and, and with the systems Sunny played it have to change the system probably to incorporate him um but yeah he's so important for them um i mean if he was going to go he's going to go abroad but he's so important for Siskar now that and the, then they'd have to dash around and find a replacement and everyone had charged him premium prices because he'd obviously go for quite a bit of money um, but I like the way now that they've that Gontranko has changed the tactics now. It's four two three one. I think it's going to be he's going to be in the midfield, the middle of the three, and he's going to be one dictating play. And I think with having a Duke now able to be flexible enough to play both um, both up front and out wide, and hopefully, fingers crossed, I think a Duke probably will play wide because I think he'll probably try and get Chaloff back in the team and. If Chaloff can rediscover his form, because to refer to um, to both Lasic and Chaloff, when when uh, right at the back back end of last year, both of them found some chemistry and they were combining really well for goals. It seemed one was setting up the other. So I think this system now, this hopefully switch of formation now will get the best out of Lasic. Because well, he's already a very good player, but maybe even improve him still, improve his numbers because I think he's such an important player. You know, in in terms of adding that creative guile, Kuchai's added goals. From um, his new role, he's come back in. Like, like emphasise what what you and David have said about him. You know, coming straight back, and we all feared for him after that bad injury, but he's back. And hopefully, now, yeah, Vlasic is the cornerstone. He's going to be the cornerstone of Siska's attack. And I think um, hopefully he can carry on the good form that he's showing. He he's so important for them if they want to um, push for Champions League football this this season, and um, also possibly, hopefully, fingers crossed, they'll be running the Europa League. Yeah, certainly. I hope that they do. And uh, you mentioned there, Richard, the, the move to a back four and how he could how it could be so beneficial. And and since moving to a back four, there's really one defender who's particularly stood out for me, and it might come as a surprise to some of the listeners. And, and that man's the Icelandic centre back, Horda Magnuson. Now, he's always been kind of a bit of a jokey figure at times, and in, in the wider sense of he, a talented player, came with pedigree from England, but makes too many mistakes, but in the last four or five games, he's become one of the most, arguably the most centre-back in recent times in Deveev's absence. He organises Vadim Karpov. He scored against Spartak in every game in the last five games. He's completed the most individual duels, uh, in, including a, a 53% win ratio, of a 55% win ratio of duels out of 13 attempted versus Spartak, which, as I mentioned earlier, is the joint highest with Obliakov. But David, you've been critical of his young central defensive partner in the past in Vadim Karpov. So how do you think, just quickly, how is Karpov getting on the season, the potential improvement? Well, I think it's not just me. He's been critical. I just want to add. I think we all been critical. <laughs> um, That's true. You know, it was obvious. We, we were being critical for a reason. He was making mistakes um, regularly. Uh, and we couldn't understand why. Goncharenko was persisting when it was costing his team points week in, week out. You know, it's it, it almost cost them a spot of European football. It was only you know, a good surge at the end and um, a couple of the other teams falling apart that, that meant that they secured the position they did. Um, 
and even earlier in the season, you know, he, he got a game and he he cost them against Spartak. He, you know, he he had a very shaky game there. Um, but yeah, he's he's um he's had a couple of good games of late. You know, we we can't can't put him down. He has had a couple of good games. He's picked up his form. Um, it's, it's nice to see a, another left-footed centre half in there as well. Um, Cisco defence, but if they're going to persist with the four four man defence, you can't see him keeping that spot. Uh, and actually, you know, switching to the four man defence could be better for them because then obviously for so long they persisted with five at the back, forcing Cisco to try and find three central defenders and often playing a full back there. Um, just because they didn't have any, or having to turn to seventeen-year-old Carpot because they didn't have any fit centre-halves, you know, two defenders now with the addition of Boots as well, just means they've got a bit more depth there to cover if you know if one of those guys gets an injury like Boots has got on the moment, um, that they might not necessarily have to turn to Carpot, or there isn't as much pressure on him. Um, so you know, good to see him have a good couple of games. Um, if they have. If they have, I thought it was going to have just short-term injury, but I'm, I think I'm pretty sure I read that he's gone for another scan. So um, hopefully it's not as, as bad as we hope and he can be back soon. Because obviously, we all know he's probably their best central defender. Um, so the pressure will be on Fuchs to come back from his little knock as quick as possible and, and try and adapt so he can, can come in and take the pressure off Carpop as quick as possible. Yeah, certainly. I feel I feel sorry for Karpov, to be honest, because he has been left out in the past year, left out to dry a little bit by Goncharenko at times. And it's very easy to compare him to Igor Dveyev and the, the two young Russians coming through with Tiska, but Dveyev was at Ufa and played a hell of a lot more first-team football than Karpov did when Karpov was struggling. And he's a lot older. I mean, he's not old, but compared to Karpov, he made his debut at 17, there's a hell of a lot more experience in his head. Can I just come in there as well, guys, as well about the um also as well with um we're going back to back two, it, it saves they've got the foreign spot free now as well with um with uh Jacobi all leaving. So it actually going back to back two now means probably Magnuson and Divi well, Divayev and Fuchs will be there starting two and then Magnuson now is your backup, your third choice, and that's a lot better than having Basson as your backup. So and they can you know, they don't need to buy in the centre half now. So and they keep that foreign spot free for another position. Yeah, anything to get fast and out the team after some of the horror shows he showed this season can only be good. <laughs> but yeah, if if Siska can sort of hold this form up, it's, it's potentially very exciting with the, the team that they've got. But once again, these are the same questions we had last year. It's, it's because they're so young. When they're good, they're really good. But with such a team built around youth and, and, and really lacking in the top-level experience and that wise, a few wise old heads, the ones they do have are, are really... At the top end of the pitch, is Alan Zagoyev, who's just constantly injured anyway. So for me, they need to add some guile and some old heads to complement their sort of plethora of exciting youth. And they really could once again excite, but as always, it's always just the what ifs with Cisco because it's so difficult to predict. But if we move on to the rest of the RPL, we'll just carry on with the quick kicks of each of the games. So we saw another RFN derby as Ruben lost 2 0 to him to Spartak. So, David, from Ruben's perspective, what did you make from the game? Yeah, it was a disappointing one. We we started well first couple of minutes. Um, Spartak had pretty much their first attack of the game. Ball just drops to Larson in the box on his weak foot, and he, he sticks it top pins. 
know, very little we could do about that. It was uh, it was just a loose ball he got to, well, it just dropped straight in. I don't think they got to it. Um, then, you know, we went straight up on the other, you know, had the, had the bulk of the play for the next sort of 15, 20 minutes. We were looking good. I was thinking, you know, we were getting a lot of set pieces, a lot of corners. We were getting good runs down um, both wings, actually more from Makarov this time. Um, you could tell, obviously, Spartak were prepared for, for creature down the left. Um, and then, you know, conceded that terribly unfortunate own goal. Uh, just out, just out of nothing, uh, and that just sort of just popped, just popped anything out of just you know, just burst the balloon, burst the bubble. And, uh, you know, I could tell by that stage it it was going to be game over. Um, you know, the, the red card in the second half gave me maybe a little bit of hope if we were to score, you know, pretty snappy afterwards. But um, you know, it, it was a it was a disappointing one. You know, it felt like it was game over after after fifteen twenty minutes. Really, unfortunately, um, when when rea- realistically we we played quite well. Um, most of the, most of the people afterwards, I was reading on Twitter, the journalists, you know, said Ruben had a good game. They they were just a bit unlucky. And I, yeah. I sort of agree with that. Yeah, certainly from Spartak. I mean, yeah, I, I agree with that. It was unlucky. It was I mean, look, the only things that really separated the teams was as you said complete luck with the Merkulov own goal and then a bit a little bit of brilliance from Jordan Larson which as Spartak fans are all too accustomed to seeing of late and I'll not spend too long on us but it's good to see Spartak put in like a, a nicely disciplined defensive performance aside from Pasha Maslov's red but Tedesco admitted this week that they are doing extra work at Dushina to eradicate these errors it's a pieces that have plagued them for nearly two years now and it's He's been following the advice, kind of. Oh well, he was—he answered yes to the question, but I don't think he can say no to the question, which was about Romansev's advice, who said last week, usually such situations are worked out in training. Players could receive special tasks from the manager, how to behave in these given situations. So, a, a journalist posed this. Romansev was quoted in the press. Journalist posed this to Tedesco. He said, "Yes, we're doing this." He's not going to say no to that, but nevertheless, it's good to see that at least in one game. Let's not get carried away, at least in one game, no set pieces, simple, solid defending, very disciplined, very nice to see from Spartak perspective, and just a, a solid 2-0 win. But moving on, across Moscow, Richard, Dinamo stole a late win over Akhmat at the Levyashin Stadium thanks to a late goal from Ivan Odets. And before this, it actually only won one in five and were thrown out of Europe by George and Min- Minnow's locomotive Tbilisi. Kirill Novikov is now under huge pressure, so how long do you think he will last? Well, I think if he was, um, let's look at it from a, a captainology, if he was on um, his second or third life going into the locomotive Tbilisi game, I think he's probably on about life seven or eight now, out of nine. You know, he really, you know, that was an embarrassing defeat. I mean, and I had, I mean, even when I predicted the score on the RFN, um, the article there for RFN predicting the, the, the game and all that, the preview of the game, even when I said 1-0, I still I had that really worrying feeling inside me. It was gut feeling because... I watched them against Rubin. Dinamo didn't play well. They hadn't played well in one or two games earlier in the season. And then when it got to nil-nil, I mean, I watched the second half myself. I was coming back from work. And when I, got to, when I saw it at half-time, nil-nil, and I thought, I actually worried to myself then, jeez, is it... I think I was just really worried feeling they're going to lose here. And then when I saw the uh, locomotive Tbilisi score those two goals, and, you know, it was just like... I was shocked, but not shocked, if that makes sense. Um, <laughs> you know... I mean, hopefully one good thing will come of that game and that's 
the only place now that Grigory Morozov will belong is a transfer list because he was just at fault for both the goals. Um, and he's really regret- not progressed at all as a player. I know Shunin couldn't have better on both the goals, but hopefully now that's the end of, of Morozov um, as a Dynamo player. Try and offload him some, sometime soon in one of the next up-and-coming windows. But on Novikov, yeah... Um, He's definitely under pressure now. Um, I f- there was those rumours that he he might have actually gone after that game, but the Dinamo hierarchy have stuck with him. Um, I mean, he didn't help himself in that game. I mean, I know Nicola Morrow has struggled since moving to Russia to make an impression. Although conversely, I watched the um, the Akmat game and he that was by far his best performance in a Dinamo shirt. He was one of the most better players on that night. He controlled that that midfield quite nicely. But, I mean, to play a midfield of, of um, Charles Kabore and Fomin, if you've spent €7 million Euros on Morrow, you've got to play him in a game like that. I mean, it, it just seems really bizarre not to play him in that game, you know, and, and not, not, not start Lezavoy either, you know. I can understand not starting him against Rubin because he'd only just arrived, but I'd have started him against Lokomotiv Tbilisi. It's quite interesting as well how Dinamo's goal from the game came from a penalty and it was a Lezavoy run into the box, which drew a foul from the Lokomotiv Tbilisi defender. You know, why wasn't he on from the start? Or, you know, the minute the first goal went in, you'd have brought on Lazavoy. So it's an interesting one with Novikov because, you know, I'd imagine I haven't looked at any official statistics, but if you actually look compared to all the Dinamo managers that they've been since Stanislav Chertasov in 2013, 2015, I mentioned there's not been a great bump since then, but he's probably, I don't know about win percentage for certain, but he's probably the highest win percentage of the lot, really, of all those managers, maybe maybe level on level with Cockloff, possibly, I don't know, but I'd imagine his win percentage is quite decent in RFL games, but when you watch Dino, I don't know if it's just me, guys, but do you not think that, you look at it and think, how's that win percentage so high? Because when, when have Dino actually played really convincingly when winning games? It seems to me that they've been getting a lot of, how do you say, scrappy wins, quite quite lucky wins, set-piece wins, set-piece goal wins. They've never once won convincingly. Do you know what I'm saying? They're, they're always one of those sides that seem to win. You know, it's it's either a set-piece, it's a penalty, it's a narrow 1-0, which they should win by more. The game against Atmat was a perfect example of that from a set-piece of an all that's goal uh, from a corner. So, I don't know, I feel... I think with Novikov, no. I think the board are staying with him for now, but I think it's actually quite what they might do with Novikov is they might give him the next five games and I've had a look at the next five games for Dinamo and it's Himke next which they should win although Himke have got a new manager coming in but then after that they've got Krasnodar Siskar Lokomotiv and Spartak I think Sochi as well so that really will then I think then in that run of games there's always so long you can carry on playing below par and still winning you know your luck won't last forever and I think that run of games takes them up to the November international break and if results if they don't get a decent points haul from that I have a feeling they might make a change. And I think they might make a change then because that would then allow them a little bit of time to get a replacement in before the winter break and, you know, give the manager a bit of time to settle whoever they get. But looking into the future, just one last thing I will say on this, guys, is is let's say Kirill Novikov does get replaced. I reckon that's an early test of just how much influence the new sporting directors, Zelko Buvac, will have at the club. Because, you know... I think if they were to get rid of Novikov, and I'm not saying they should or they shouldn't um, right now, but if they were, um, I think the best port call for Dinamo would be to go for a manager from the Bundesliga because Buvac has 17 years working on Jurgen Klopp at Mainz, Dortmund and Liverpool. 
Um, so I, I would hope if they've gone to all the effort to get Buvach as a sporting director that they, the Dinamo board would lean on Buvach for advice. And I think that's what Dinamo would have to go with. If they did decide to get rid of Novikov, they'd have to go for a coach from abroad. Obviously, we're, we're jumping into the future a little bit there, but um, that's that would be my opinion. I think it would be pointless going for Russian managers. There aren't many around and you know, don't do something insanely daft like bringing back Andrei Kobolev, for example. Good God heavens, no, please don't. Um, you know, so... But yeah, in terms of Novikov, I think this next couple of games will really, really determine whether or not he still will be at Dynamo because he's got to be under pressure now after that awful result against Locomotive Tbilisi. <laughs> yeah, certainly. It was um, embarrassing is exactly the right word for it. There's nothing less than that you can really say about it. And not, on Buvec, quickly, the sporting director, it's, it's interesting to see what, as you said, he his next move will be. And now this is no insight or knowledge behind the scenes, whatever, but it's just pure my own pure instincts. And I, I honestly get the distinct impression that him and Novikov don't see eye to eye all of the time. Now, Buvac is in control of transfers. These players that he's signing are very Buvac transfers, very Buvac players. Philip was handpicked by him. Moro was handpicked by him. Lesevoy, he, he went out and got him 5 million, a lot of money for... 5 million? 1.5 million. So quite a lot of money for, for, the, for, the, for the young lad who's... Not great amount of experience, not really proving himself, but very talented nonetheless. Novikov hasn't played any of them. He doesn't like to start them very often. Morrow in the game against Tbilisi, you've got to be starting him with the experience he has at this level. So I wonder if there could be a little schism there. I'm not quite sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if, as you said, Novikov doesn't see out the end of the winter, to be quite honest. But interestingly also, and just the other day, there are a few... Moving on, actually admitted that the VAR decision to allow Artyom Zuba's goal versus Ural was incorrect and offside. Now, looking back at the decision, I'll quickly cover this one myself, is that it is offside. It's it's clear as day. It should never have been given at the time. I remember Andrew Flint, our Ural man, was incoherent with anger about the goal standing. But (laughs) (laughs) moving on again, I'll I'll quickly cover Kimki now. So Kimki sacked the manager, Dimitri Gunker, after the... 7-2 7-2 trouncing by Krasnodar at the weekend. And in truth, many were surprised that he lasted as long as he did. He's been replaced now by former local Baltica and Arsenal Tula boss Igor Cherovshenka. He's pretty famous for sorting out defences and Kimkis is absolutely all over the place right now. They've conceded the most goals in the league at 18 in just 8 games and they've got by far the worst disciplinary record. So the new manager's bounce should help, but to be quite honest, until they do recruit some genuine RPL quality at the top end of the pitch. I think that it all seems moot if they're able to stave off relegation. Uh, I see a long season of struggle for them, for Kimki. But, Richard, going back to you, you kept an eye on Loco as they rested a decline of five games without a win with a 1-0 victory at Tambov. How do you think they've looked now without Alexi Miranchuk? Just a quick one on that. Yeah, so um, first half of their game against Tambov, it's interesting that they went to um, a two uh, up front. They've actually played Ed Air and um, Smoloff up front. They went two up front and then Kamano left wing. Oh, no, sorry, right wing. They went Kamano right wing and then left wing was uh, Anton Moranchuk. Um, Kamano was quite good in the first half. Um, there was one chance he created in particular for Anton Moranchuk who he, he, he hit it wide. And it was a lovely winger to winger pass. He was quite deep and he floated it in and then Moranchuk ran into it in the box and just curved hit a shot wide. Um, interesting to see that two-man attack. I mean, they're playing Tamboff. It, it's it's difficult to really fully judge it, but it looked it looked okay. It looked solid, solid enough. Um, 
interesting to see what they do going forward because I mean they're being linked with um, Dalla Kuzayev now, aren't they, Lokomotiv? So that'll be quite interesting. Obviously, he's not been able to find a club abroad, so he's obviously now having to come back to Russian football. I mean, I'm a bit disappointed personally. I, I would have liked to have seen him gone abroad, but obviously, you know, it's an interesting one that how how he'll how they'll fit. Will they will they go to a three man centre midfield? Maybe play. And play four three two one. Maybe have Kamano and Miranchuk behind the striker. Maybe Smoloff. We should see how they they fit him in. But um, yeah, against Tamboff they look in the game. Bits of the game that I saw against Tamboff they look quite solid. And uh, they've also been linked with um, Mario Mandzukic, which I think is quite. I'm not quite sure about that one. To us, 34. He's getting on a little bit now. You know, um, two or three years ago, I had a 100% yet said yes, but you just don't know what he's going to be like at 34. Um, but in the bits of the game that I saw against Tamboff, I thought Lokomotiv looked quite well. They struck it round pretty nicely. They they looked quite quite good. I think Kamano just needs a little bit more time. There's some there's definitely a talent there, you can tell. Um, he was playing really well for Bordeaux a couple of years ago. Hopefully Smoloff can keep up this form. Um so yeah, they they look quite decent, but the most important thing with um with Lokomotiv this season though is is don't, I will say to the, to the fans locomotive is don't necessarily expect him to be as good as the last couple of seasons because Miranchuk is a huge hole to fill and, and Nikolic is still a young manager. He's obviously taken over from Yuri Schumann. Um, they look solid. They looked okay so far. Still room for improvement, but like I say, losing a player like Miranchuk is uh, Alexa Miranchuk is is going to take time to replace. So it might be a transitional year, but hopefully they can ride it through and uh, do the best that they can. <laughs> yeah, certainly. And the, the funny thing about Kamano is whenever I see him play, I mean, he hasn't lit the RPL on fire yet, but my mind always gets cast back to when Loco announced the signing on Twitter and the, the English Locomotive Moscow account was just, the replies were just laden with Bordeaux fans just like, oh, he's crap, he's he's a fraud, he's rubbish and this and that. And and you always have to fear a little bit when you see these replies. Is it is it sour grapes from the fans for a good player leaving or is he crap? Jews yet, it could be, yet to be decided on that one, but yeah, I agree. Local are in for not a difficult season by any means, but not quite hitting the heights of second again, I don't think. Elsewhere, Sochi finally saw their unbeaten run to come to an end. So the the last team actually in the RPL to 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 be defeated this season now, as Arsenal won 3-2 in Tula. And Rostov versus Rota was cancelled due to the ongoing coronavirus epidemic affecting the team down in Volgograd. I mean, that was almost inevitable after Rostov's public letter to Sergei Pliadkin last week. And then duly, the FTC RFU committee also awarded Rostov a technical victory earlier in the week. And that's all for this week's episode of the RFN podcast. Check out the website at russianfootballnews.com as always. This weekend, we're treated to two Moscow derbies as Siska host Loco and Kimki faced Dinamo. Meanwhile, at the time of recording, Rostov have just lost 2-1 at at home to Maccabi Haifa in their Europa League qualifier, which, again, is, as I like like what David's put himself on Twitter, it's surprising, but equally not as surprising whatsoever. So, David, where can everyone find you online? Uh, You can find me on Twitter, at RFN underscore David. And Richard? At RichDPike89, at RichDPike89. This has been the RFN podcast. Goodbye for now.
Идет футбольный матч, летит на поле мяч. Веди его, беги, точнее его ударь. Но мяч берет на нерешительный вратарь. Не напрасно футбольное поле самых ловких и смелых плечок. Здесь нужны тренировка и воля. Быстрота, увлечение, расчет. 